Amen. Amen. Well, if we could stand and grab our Bibles, we're going to go to the Word of the Lord, the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Please do not fail to support the youth group tonight. Uh, I want to add to our youth pastor's appeal to support our youth. I, I think that there is probably nothing more precious and important that we could do right now as a church than to stand behind our young people who are endeavoring to serve the Lord. Isn't that an admirable thing for young people to take a stand for Jesus? And I, for one, will stand behind the youth group when they do that. Amen? Thank you for supporting them. And, and, uh, and by the way, it's just a great excuse to break your diet as well. So take advantage of that. And uh, my bishop's wife is rebuking me right now, but, uh, but it is a wonderful excuse to break your diet, and you can break your diet for Jesus, amen? Amen, all right. And uh, I have, there's a few wives shaking their heads at me right now. I apologize if I've created trouble, but, but we can support the youth group tonight. Don't forget the bake sale. And I do want to give honor to my pastor tonight as he preaches in New Jersey. He preached five times this weekend in a very short amount of time. And then on top of that, he uh, sat in several board meetings and, and was a, a panelist on uh, several panel discussion panels. And uh, he preached uh, all over New York and New Jersey. And uh, I know that he will be uh, tired as he travels back tomorrow. How many will just whisper a prayer for your pastor as he travels tomorrow that he'll be able to rest, and uh, and I know the Lord. I've already been hearing reports of how God moved very powerfully in the New Jersey District Men's Conference as He preached, and uh, I'm thankful that the Lord moved there. And uh, I also want to give honor to my bishop. Bishop, I appreciate you and, and love you, and um, I always feel humbled uh, when I preach in your presence, and, and I honor you and. On our youth pastor and all the saints, all of you, all of the elders, I give you honor tonight. How many will preach with me? Amen. And uh, I wish that I could preach fee fi fo fum tonight. I really do. What a tremendous message that was. It ministered to me personally. And yes, amen. I, uh, I prayed and I said, Lord, I, I wish that you would give me a word like that. But the Lord has taken me to a convicting passage of Scripture, a convicting passage of Scripture. And so I'm asking you to, to help me preach and to open up your spirit to the Word of God. 2 Corinthians Chapter 7, verses 8 through 11. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to the Corinthian church. For though I made you sorry with a letter, speaking of his previous letter, which was a convicting letter, I do not repent, though I did repent, for I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. Now I rejoice, not that ye were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. 
For ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. For behold, this selfsame thing that ye sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you. Yea, what clearing of yourselves. Yea, what indignation. Yea, what fear. Yea, what vehement desire. Yea, what zeal. Yea, what revenge. In all things ye have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. And I'm preaching tonight a tale of two sorrows. A tale of two sorrows. Could we put our Bibles down and could we lift up our hands and our hearts to the word of the Lord right now? Dear Lord Jesus, I pray that your holy fire would speak into our hearts, into our lives, God. Purify us, Lord. Cleanse us. Cleanse us, O God, I pray. Speak to us through your word. Help this humble messenger to convey what you have laid on my heart. I give you praise. I give you glory. One more time, would you clap your hands to the Lord? As an expression of worship, amen. I appreciate you standing out of respect for the word. You may be seated. This is the only passage of scripture where we see a distinction made between two individual types of sorrow. The Apostle Paul is the only New Testament writer who tells us that there is a godly sorrow and there is a worldly sorrow. There is a sorrow that worketh repentance and salvation in our lives and there is a worldly sorrow that leads to death and destruction. And it's important that you know the difference between the two. It's not enough to just be sorrowful. It's not enough to just feel remorsefulness. But you must come to a place in your relationship with God where you find what it means to have a godly sorrow for your sin. Because the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. And I don't know about you, but I purposed in my heart a long, long time ago that I will not live under the bondage and the weight of sin in my life. And you cannot be released from the bondage of sin without godly sorrow and godly repentance in your life. I fear at the risk of losing many of you by preaching from a negative aspect, and it's not my intention to preach negatively tonight, but I fear that our culture is losing the importance of conviction. I sometimes refer to this as the death of conviction. Conviction is a good thing to feel once in a while. This preacher preaching tonight 
needs to feel the burden of conviction from time to time. I can never come to a place where I am so holy that I cannot be convicted. I can never come to a place where I've prayed so many prayers that I am above being convicted. Everyone in this room must know what it means to feel the burden of godly conviction from time to time because it is godly sorrow and godly conviction that leads us to genuine repentance. And genuine repentance is what leads us to salvation. And I don't know about you, but I've come this far by faith. And I'm not looking back, turning back, going back, giving up, or falling down. Because I've made up my mind that I am on my way to heaven. And ain't nothing turning me around. And no devil in hell is going to hold me down. Because God is working all things together for good. But he's looking for a pure bride. Bride that understands that conviction leads to repentance. You shouldn't run from conviction. Never get to a place where you put an expectation on a preacher where you give that unspoken demand. Preacher, don't preach conviction to me. Churches that lose the importance of conviction lose the importance of repentance. And conviction is not casual. True conviction is not pretty to look at. True conviction is more than just standing around an altar and clapping your hands and shaking your head and saying, good sermon preacher. True conviction is more than just having a spirit of affirmation. James 4 and 8 says, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. What is he talking about? He's talking about conviction. He's describing what it looks like when a sinner comes to an altar and says, Lord, forgive me. Listen, it's okay to weep in the presence of God because when you have godly sorrow, there's going to be tears that begin to flow. When you say, Savior, I've sinned against thee, O God, and I'm sorry, Lord. Forgive me of my sin. Be afflicted and mourn, ye double-minded. Apostolic tabernacle it's okay every once in a while to humble yourself underneath the mighty hand of God and say Lord I am not above feeling conviction humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift thee You want to be exalted? You want to be lifted up? You want to have joy? You want to have peace? You want to have affirmation? You want to have the blessings and the goodness of God? I'll tell you how you do it. You humble yourself underneath the mighty hand of God. James sounds a lot like the Old Testament prophets, the ones that we sometimes avoid. The Old Testament prophets who would cry out, For the people to repent of their sins, to grieve over their sins, and to sit in sackcloth and ashes. 
One of the best examples of godly sorrow in the Old Testament is King David himself, a man after God's own heart. Many of his psalms, just read through them, you won't have to go very far, and you'll see that David had a heart of repentance. He had a heart that sorrowed when he failed, and fail he did. In Psalm 6 and 6, after his great failure with Bathsheba, he pleads for God's mercy and cries out, I am worn out from my groanings, O Lord. All night long I have flooded my bed with tears, and I have drenched my couch with my weeping. The apostle Paul described his own battles with sin. O wretched man am I, who shall deliver me from this body of death? And then he gives his own answer. Thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. Somebody ought to clap your hands to the Lord and say thank you Jesus for delivering me from the bondage of iniquity. Are there any sinners saved by grace tonight? Is there anybody who could humble yourself and stand with me and say, I'm just a wretched sinner who God lifted up out of the miry clay? It was Jesus who set your feet on a rock to stay. Don't ever forget where you came from. Don't ever forget what God set you free from. Don't look down your nose at a sinner because you were once just like them. But God got a hold of you. God changed your life. Oh, but for the blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. Oh, I'm so glad. We ought to sing that song. We ought to sing that song, Brother Turner. I'm so glad that the blood saved me. There's power, power, wonder-working power. Oh, does anybody remember where you were when God found you? Does anybody remember what God delivered you from? Oh, amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, somebody ought to just say, thank you, Jesus. Godly sorrow results from truly understanding that we have offended God with our sin. Bishop, I know I'm preaching a little old-fashioned tonight, but we've got to remind this generation that we have offended God with our sin. You've got to understand that we serve a holy God. God doesn't look at sin the way we look at sin. God is pure and undefiled without a spot of sin. And you may think it's no big deal, but that's because you're looking at it with the eyes of flesh. God does not look at our iniquity the way we look at our iniquity. And that's why we have to say, Lord, purify me with hyssop, O God. Cover me in your blood. Wash me whiter than snow. Make me clean, God. Thank you for Calvary. If it hadn't been for Jesus, if it hadn't been for an old rugged cross, I would be surely lost because we are dependent upon the blood of Jesus. See, when you begin to belittle sin, you belittle Calvary. Did you know that? When you begin to act like sin is no big deal, you know what you're saying? You may not mean to say it, but you're saying Calvary was no big deal. 
You're saying that the stripes that they laid on his back were no big deal. You're saying that the blood that flowed from his forehead was no big deal. Can I tell you, Jesus would not have suffered the indignation and the pain and the emotional torment of Calvary if sin was not a big deal. But God in his love and in his mercy, he looked down at a world that was eaten up with the cancer of sin and he said, I've got an answer. And his name is Jesus. And he sent a spotless lamb who was slain from the very foundation of the world. And he said, I have a remedy. I've got a remedy for the cancer that sin has created in this world. Oh, hallelujah. Understanding that God views sin very seriously produces genuine sorrow. And only genuine sorrow produces genuine repentance. A tale of two sorrows. Peter and Judas both failed God at roughly the same time. They both let Jesus down. And they both exhibited sorrow. They had many similarities. They were both pillars of the church, so to speak. They were both a part of the Lord's inner circle. They were close disciples of Jesus. Judas was so trusted that he was given the responsibility of carrying the money. These weren't fringe saints or Sunday morning only people. They were solid church members. In fact, they were more than members. They were leaders In the early church movement, people you would not expect to see backslide. They both knew Jesus firsthand. They witnessed the same miracles. They heard the same sermons. They sang from the same hymnal. They went to the same camp meetings. They had the advantage of experiencing Jesus' earthly ministry. And I believe that they both loved Jesus. And yet... They both failed dramatically. They failed God. They failed themselves. They failed their families. And they failed their brethren. I'm focused on this grim topic tonight. Because if these two people who were that close to Jesus could fail the Lord in such a terrible fashion. Then who are you and I to assume that we are incapable of failure? The question is not so much will we fail. The question is how will we deal with our failure. I pray that you never find yourself in a situation where you have betrayed God. Where you've betrayed everything that you ever held dear. But if you do, this preacher is begging and pleading with you tonight to to sorrow with a godly sorrow and not to sorrow after the manner of the world. Do not let pride, do not let fear or desperation or condemnation or frustration keep you from running back to the Father's house where you came from. Because hear this preacher, even the servants are better off in the Father's house than a prince living in a pig pen. Let me say that one more time. Even the servants in the Father's house have it better off than a prince who is living in a pig pen. Go ahead. 
bed. Pick yourself up. Dust yourself off. And make your way home. Because there is a loving heavenly father. Who will be waiting for you. Longing for you. Looking for you. And ready to throw a party. Hallelujah. 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 Lift up your hand right now. In the name of the Lord Jesus, I don't know who we're ministering to right now, God. But I pray that you would deliver somebody. I pray that you would heal somebody. I pray that you would help somebody tonight, God. The devil doesn't care if you're sorry. As long as you have a worldly sorrow. Hmm. Judas was sorry. But he sorrowed. With a worldly sorrow. After Judas betrayed Jesus and realized that they had condemned Jesus to death. He was filled with remorse, the Bible says. He was sorrowful. In fact, uh, if it's just off of my opinion page. But I don't believe that Judas ever expected for Jesus to be condemned to death. I I believe that Judas thought that he would force Jesus into setting up an earthly kingdom. I I believe that Judas simply misunderstood what Jesus was trying to accomplish. Listen, you have to be very careful when you start trying to manipulate the will of God. You have to be very careful when you start trying to force God into your box or into your agenda. Go ahead and let God be God. Go ahead and let God do it the way he's going to do it. You will always be frustrated with the kingdom of God. You will always find yourself on the verge of backsliding when you will not surrender your will to God's will. When you start trying to put your place in God's place, you will always find yourself frustrated. Go ahead and say, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. Go ahead and cry your tears in the garden of Gethsemane. Go ahead and say, God, I won't let you do it my way. We're going to do it your way. How many know God's way is always the best way? And so he ran and took the 30 pieces of silver back to the priests and the elders and he threw it on the ground saying, I've betrayed an innocent man. And when the priest wouldn't take back his blood money, he committed the horrible sin of suicide. He should have gone running to Jesus. He should have asked Jesus to forgive him, not the priests and elders. And I don't know who this is for tonight, but the enemy is good at convincing you that there is no redemption for your sin. He'll tell you it's over. And that you've gone so far that you'll never find your way back. He'll turn one sin into another sin. And that sin into a thousand more sins. Until eventually, even though you may feel regret. And even though you may feel sorrow. You die in your sin. And you die in your trespass. But hear this preacher tonight. Your failure does not have to be final. Well, that's good preaching. Somebody needs to hear that. I said, your failure 
does not have to be final. This is not the end. It doesn't have to end that way. Your story doesn't have to stop here. Don't let the devil whisper in your ear and tell you that you're worthless and tell you that you're finished because God can turn your story around. God can turn your mourning into dancing if you'll run to Jesus and throw yourself at the foot of Calvary. Oh, somebody clap your hands to the Lord. I wish somebody would go beyond just looking apostolic tonight and remember who you were when God found you. Oh, wretched man am I. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. I once was lost, but now, but now, thank God. Thank God. I said, thank God. Thank God. That's the spirit of conviction falling all across this building. Somebody needs to yield yourself to the Holy Ghost right now. We need an old-fashioned revival of conviction in apostolic tabernacle. Hallelujah. 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 You see, worldly sorrow is all about self. It is, in fact, a selfish sorrow. Judas sorrowed over his situation, but he never got over himself. The world says that you have to forgive yourself. The world turns repentance into self-forgiveness. But when we sin against God, it's not about forgiving ourselves. Self is what got us in this mess in the first place. Your flesh can't give divine forgiveness to your flesh. And some of us here tonight are so indoctrinated with cultural pop psychology that we are struggling with what I'm saying right now. But the Bible does not tell us to forgive our flesh. It tells us to crucify our flesh. Stop, 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 stop trying to forgive yourself. Let God forgive you. And let God begin the healing process. Because it is God that will deliver. And it is God who will set the captive free. And it, will, it is God who will mend the brokenhearted. Can I tell you all the substance abuse in the world will not ease a bruised conscience? Can I tell somebody tonight all of the counseling in the world will not deliver you? It's going to take the blood of Jesus. It's going to take the cleansing blood of Jesus applied to your life. There is, somebody hear me now, There is repentance and there is restoration. Somebody said yes. Oh yes, there is. 
and there is forgiveness, but it begins when you forget about you and run to Calvary. Go and look for your Savior. Go and look Jesus in the face because he is the one who we have failed and he is the one who forgives and he is the author and the finisher of our faith. Jesus said, whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. Oh, hallelujah. And follow me. A tale of two sorrows. The devil is convinced more people than I can even allow myself to think about without weeping that their failure is final. He's convinced them just as he did Judas. Even people who have grown up around the things of God, people who have been exposed to the power and the glory of God, sometimes even people who have been around church their entire lives, but one moment of failure, one terrible mistake, and he convinces them that their story is over, but I'm pleading with somebody tonight to believe with me that it does not have to be that way. And can I just go ahead and preach to the church for a moment? Don't ever let it be said of godly people, of members of this church, that we would ever look at people who have failed and said it's over for them. If God can offer them forgiveness, they didn't sin against you, they sinned against God. And if God can forgive them, and if God can love them, and if God can restore them, then the church of the living God ought to open up its arms and say, come on in. The church of the living God ought to kill the fatted calf put a ring on his finger and get the music out and say we're throwing a party because my brothers come home my sister's finally home and we're rejoicing hallelujah but Peter failed at the same time all of this happened around the events of Jesus' arrest, his conviction, and his death. Two contemporaries fail Jesus. But the difference is that Peter responded differently than Judas did. It's not that his sin was any less great or that his failure was any less terrible. In fact, what he did was was especially troubling because He had even been told by Jesus, Jesus prophesied. Now, I want you to think about this. Can you imagine you're having having communion, you're in a beautiful communion service, and and Jesus looks at you and he says, listen, now, in just a little while, you're going to deny me. Imagine if if I just looked and I said, Brother Collins, I'm prophesying over your life, and you get excited. Woo, I'm going to get a prophecy. You're going to get prophecy over my life. You're going to fail God in just a few moments. Can you imagine? That's exactly what Jesus did 
to Peter. And Peter denied it. He said, Lord, I'm, I'm not going to fail you, Lord. And, and uh, he was feeling strong in his faith. He argued with Jesus for a little bit. You better be careful when you argue with Jesus. You'll get a whole lot of egg on your face when you start arguing with Jesus. And so he argues. And sure enough, before the rooster crowed, he had denied even knowing who Jesus was three separate times. And he did it with cursing. This was the disciple. This was the preacher in training. This was the bishop in training. And he denied Jesus. He, he let Jesus down. And Jesus looked at him with those hurt eyes. And he realized what he did. But can I tell you the difference? When he realized what he had done, the Bible says that Peter wept bitterly. Can I tell you? There's going to be moments when you let God down. Don't let the devil get a hold of you. Just go ahead and get in an altar and let those tears flow and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, God. You even warned me. You even tried to tell me. And I still let you down. And when he heard the news, when he heard the news that Jesus was no longer in the tomb after he had suffered the pain of Jesus' crucifixion and all of their hopes and dreams crucified on a, on a Roman cross. And when he heard the news that when Mary came back and said, listen, the tomb is empty, he ran to the tomb, the Bible says he went looking for Jesus. He wanted to be the first one to talk to Jesus. You know why? Because he knew he'd let him down. And he just had to get to Jesus and say, Lord, I let you down. But I'm standing with you, Jesus. I'm with you, Lord. I've sinned against you. you forgive me, Jesus. It's all about a godly sorrow. Godly sorrow. Godly sorrow. Turn to repentance. He turned to Jesus. Oh, if Judas would have just run to Jesus, I believe the story would have ended very differently. Oh, if Judas would have just found the master instead of going to the accuser of the brethren, I believe that his story would have ended very, very differently. But the difference between Peter and Judas is that Peter found Jesus. In fact, when Jesus began to appear after the resurrection, the very first person that he appeared to was Peter. Early in the morning, they were standing by the seaside. And Peter looks out and he hears a voice calling to him. And finally, when he recognized that it was Jesus, Peter was out in a, Peter was out in a ship and they had been fishing. And Jesus called to him from the seaside. And when Peter realized that it was Jesus, the Bible says, I think one of the most beautiful stories that you'll read in the Bible is he was the only disciple who would not wait for the ship to get to the shore. It says that he leapt out of the boat and he ran through the water to get to Jesus. That is a godly sorrow, my friend, that says I'm not going to run from Jesus in shame, but I'm going to get to him and say, Lord, I want to restore a right relationship with you. I want to get as close to you as I 
possibly can. I know I've let you down, but I'm not going to run from the house of God. You better not run from church when you let God down. You better get to the house of God. You better not run from the preaching of the word when you let God down. Get to an old-fashioned preaching service. Don't run from an altar when you've let God down. Run to the altar. Fall on your knees. Stop worrying about the gossip and stop worrying about the Pentecostal gossip vine because it's not about the gossip. It's about having a right relationship with God. Who cares what anybody says? I don't care what this world says. I care about what Jesus thinks. Peter could have said the other disciples will look down on me. Everybody will think less of me. Maybe I won't have a ministry. Hmm. Maybe I won't have a future in Pentecost if I allow my sorrow to be expressed. By the way, ooh, it got quiet. I might be in the Holy Ghost right now. You see, one of the most dangerous lies that Satan will whisper into your life when you have failed God is that you have to protect yourself. Hmm. When you start caring more about how you look to other people than how you look to God, you're in big trouble, honey. Listen, God will restore some things, but it's only going to happen when you recognize the weight of sin and have a godly sorrow that leads to repentance. And sometimes that means you've got to jump out of the boat and get wet in the water and run to Jesus and say, I don't care what James thinks. I don't care what Matthew thinks. I don't care what anybody thinks. I've got to get to Jesus right now. So when he got to Jesus, Jesus looked at him said, Peter, lovest thou me? You know what that was? That was conviction. And Peter said, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus looked at him again without skipping a beat and said, Peter, lovest thou me? Oh, Lord. You know that I love you. Peter, lovest thou me. Jesus was acknowledging without ever having to say it. I know you denied me three times, but I need to know that you have a godly sorrow that worketh to repentance. And that that repentance has brought you to love me. How many love the Lord tonight? Could you lift up your hand and just love him right now? Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. As the musicians come. Because he had a godly sorrow, his story did not end in defeat and failure and disgrace.
The apostle Peter, who went on to stand up on the day of Pentecost and preach that first message that ushered in the very first outpouring of the Holy Ghost in the upper room. He said, repent and be baptized. It's, it's no coincidence that he was able to stand up and preach repent because he knew firsthand what it meant to have to repent. Repent, he said, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. He went on to be one of the most influential preachers of the early church. In fact, he became the bishop in the great Jerusalem church. Wrote two beautiful books of the Bible. Was martyred for the gospel. Pledged his life to Jesus from that day forward. Even though Judas and Peter failed, one had a worldly sorrow. One understood godly sorrow. And God used him. And God used him. Stand with me. Let me look you in the eye. There is forgiveness for failure. I wish a saint would shake your head. There is forgiveness for failure. If Judas could have only waited just a few days. You see, all that he saw was that his betrayal had set in motion the events that would lead Jesus to Calvary. But what he failed to understand is that Jesus intended to go to Calvary all along. Calvary was the reason that Jesus came. And if Judas could have just held on, he would have seen after three days that the stone was rolled away. And he would have been able to see that Jesus was working all things together for good. If only he could have waited could have seen that his failure was not the end of the story. I know that I'm preaching to several kinds of people, people in all different places in your relationship with God. Some of you are in no danger of backsliding, but I'm preaching to people right now. The people beside you, the people behind you, they don't know, but you know in your heart. That you failed God. And the enemy's been trying to tell you that your story is over. You might as well give up. You might as well go ahead and just drift away from the things of God. Just go ahead and drift away from church. Just just go ahead. You're never going to be used. You're never going to have a future. You're never going to be good enough. You're never going to be strong enough. You're never going to feel the touch of the Holy Ghost again. I rebuke the voice of the devil right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have a future if you will come to God in repentance. Your story doesn't have to end. Some of you that 
There's going to come a day when you need to remember this message. Put it on file. And when the moment comes, I want you to remember that your failure doesn't have to be final. There's some of you today that ought to just run to this altar and thank God that he's already restored you, that he's already done a great work in your life. Wherever you are, whatever level you are tonight, whatever, whatever the Lord has been trying to speak to your heart, I wonder if we could just come to this altar as a corporate body of believers. And I wonder if we could surrender our will. I wonder if we could go ahead and humble ourselves in the presence of God. There's some of us here tonight that ought to just go ahead and come and say, Lord, I know that, that the little foxes have been invading my vineyard. Some of you ought to go ahead and say, Lord, there's some things, there's some things that, that the devil has been trying to destroy in my life. Just go ahead and say, God, I need you to forgive me. I need you to deliver me. I need you to set me free. I need you to restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Some of you tonight, it's been a long time since you felt the joy of the Lord. You ought to come to this altar and surrender your will to God until he restores unto you the joy of your salvation. That's okay. That's okay. We're not so holy that we can't weep in the presence of God. Let's not get so holy that we can't bow and bend our knee in the presence of God. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the your flesh it's not always pretty but go ahead and crucify that sin nature tonight come on lay it on the altar lay that old flesh nature on the altar lay that addiction on the altar tonight lay that sin on the altar tonight come on go ahead give it to Jesus 
That's it, that's it, that's it, that's it. The old rugged cross Till my trophies at last I lay down I will cling to the old rugged cross And exchange it someday for a crown Oh that old rugged cross so despised by the world has a wondrous attraction for me For the dear Lamb of God left his glory above to bear it to dark Calvary. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. In that old rugged cross, Stained with blood so divine, a wondrous beauty I see. For twas on that old cross Jesus suffered and died to pardon and sanctify. Oh, somebody lift your voice and sing it with us. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. Somebody. Till my trophies at last I lay down. Yes, 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 yes. That's it, that's it, that's it. Oh. I will cling to the old rugged cross. Change it someday for a crown. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down. Everybody sing. So, so I'll cherish 
this verse. Listen. On a hill <laughs> yeah. far away oh, somebody needs to hear this. Stood an old, stood an old rugged cross <laughs> the emblem of suffering Come on, somebody look at Calvary sin. right now. And I love, I love that, old cross that old cross with a for a world of lost sinners oh. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So I cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down. Somebody get a hold of it. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. We're not done yet. We're not done yet, everybody. So I cherish the old rugged cross. Trophies at, at last I lay down. I will cling to the old ragged cross and exchange it something for a crown. Let's sing it softly. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross <laughs> till my trophies at last I lay down. <laughs> I will cling to the old rugged cross. <laughs> Sing it with no music. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross <laughs> till my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged Someday for a, a crown. So I'll cherish the old run 
up your hands and love the Lord right now. Somebody just love the Lord. 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 Hallelujah. 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 Now would be a good time to forgive your brother. Now would be a good time to forgive your sister. Now would be a good time to let go of anger. Now would be a good time to surrender yourself. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender. Sometimes you've just got to get down on your knee and sing, oh, oh, I surrender all, I surrender all, all to Thee, my blessed Savior, I Come on, all means everything. All means everything. I surrender all. I surrender all. My time, my money, God. All to Thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender. Let's sing it softly. I surrender all. I surrender all. All 
Just love him, love him, love him. I worship you, Jesus. I worship you, Jesus. I worship you, Jesus. We praise your name. We praise your name. We praise your name. Thank you, Jesus. 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 This might make some of you uncomfortable for me to say this. And I'm not saying this for everybody in this room, probably only one or two. And I've wrestled with the Lord over whether or not to say this publicly. But I felt it all afternoon. We need to pray against the spirit of suicide. It can grip the hearts and the minds of people who have failed. Some of you will accuse me of sensationalism, but I believe that God may be saving someone's life right now. And I need a prayer Listen to this preacher. Somebody hear this preacher. Somebody hear this preacher. Godly sorrow does not lead to self-hatred. Listen to me, young person. Godly sorrow does not lead to self-hatred. 
godly sorrow leads to godly repentance and restoration. And God has a good plan for your life tonight. I wish if somebody would lift up your hands and if you believe that God has his hand on every single person in this room, I plead the blood of Jesus over every soul underneath the sound of my voice tonight. And I pray soundness of mind. And I pray protection. And I pray peace, God. And I pray that there would be godly sorrow and not demonic condemnation. I pray that there would be godly conviction and not demonic attack, Lord. I plead the blood of Jesus right now. I pray that the mouth of the enemy would be silenced right now. I pray that you would shut the mouth of the lions right now in the name of the Lord Jesus. I pray that you would protect Daniel right now in the name of the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Oh, I wish a prayer warrior would pray in the Holy Ghost right now. I need a prayer warrior who knows how to pray and intercede in the Holy Ghost right now to take the move of the Spirit seriously right now. God just might be saving a life. God just might be delivering a soul from captivity right now. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Oh God, oh God, hallelujah, hallelujah, set the captive free Lord, bind up the broken hearted God, mend their wounds, set the captive free. Lord, you have not given us the spirit of fear. You have not given us the spirit of fear, God. I come against the spirit of fear right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I come against the spirit of condemnation right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I come against the spirit of self-harm right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray a hedge of protection. I pray that angelic hosts would be with us and camp round about us, O oh Lord. You've given us power with the angels because of our hair, O oh God. And I pray, O oh Lord, that angels would minister. Be with them in the darkness of night. Be with them when Satan comes against them like a flood. Be with them when demonic spirits begin to speak with them. I plead the blood of Jesus. I pray, oh God, that you would bring a spirit of deliverance. Oh, if you don't have the Holy Ghost, you better get the Holy Ghost tonight. If you don't have the Holy Ghost, you better get the Holy Ghost tonight. I said, if you don't have the Holy Ghost, you better get the Holy Ghost tonight. I feel demonic forces trying to attack this church. I need a prayer warrior to pray in tongues right now. I need an intercessory prayer warrior. 
to pray in tongues right now. This is no time to play games. This is no time to be casual. I need a man of God to plead the blood of Jesus over your home. I need some husbands and grandfathers and men right now to pray over your home and to pray over your children and grandchildren. I need some men right now to pray in the Holy Ghost. Go ahead, sir. Be the priest of your home. Go ahead, sir. Be the priest of your home right now. Lead your family in prayer. Your children may not be here. Your family may not be here. But go ahead and cover them in prayer. Your loved ones may not be in this building. But go ahead and cover them in prayer right now. Come on, pray for your loved ones. Pray for your loved ones. I feel a spirit of urgency. God is calling us to prayer right now.